Hi, welcome to Challenging Christianity. It's Rebecca Kinnistran and Daniel Dadashi. And today we have a guest pastor, Rita Anderson. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Your first time on the podcast. I know. It's so great to have a new person. It's like... Excited. We were just talking, we always have a precast sort of chat, and um, we were just talking about the church did a haunted spaces um, sort of event this weekend, and I have my two kids there, I was so appreciative to be able to join community again, um, didn't care if it was outside, didn't care if I had to wear a mask, I'm just like, there are other people, <laughs> there are other people in my vicinity. <laughs> a whole different uh, set of values now, it's like anytime I get to spend time with anyone i get so excited i'm bundling up and hanging out around fires outside in cold totally it's the best thing ever i feel like on this podcast we've talked so much about like church as community and where people find community if they don't have a church and the thing this lockdown has showed me over and over again is how important finding your community is wherever it is yeah. it is lonesome without it and right now i'm I feel like people are starting to find ways to connect, whether it's like over Zoom or mm -hmm. from a distance, because we just need it. It's so important. Well, we need it because it's we're, we are all really grieving. And that's mm -hmm. our topic today is grieving. And we're all grieving because we've lost something, some very important things. And one of them is community. And community is one huge way that place that we can turn to for help with our grieving. So mm. to me, it seems like natural. That wow. Great time of loss for everybody. We're craving that community, that, that source of help that can help us process this. Yeah. yeah. It does kind of feel like I don't, I don't, I'm not well-versed in grief in general, but I do remember the five steps of grieving denial or acceptance. It's like oh. denial, acceptance, depression, no, bargaining, depression i'm putting them all out of order too i'm not like a pro okay pastor rita is that real like is that whole thing that we've heard tell us is that real yes well that is um the um, outcome of the work of a swiss psychiatrist uh, elizabeth kubler ross in the 60s and she wrote a book on death and dying and in that she established these uh five stages of grief through her research Hmm. And they are very, very helpful. And Daniel's right. They are in a certain order for a certain reason. And the thought process at that time was that people went through stages of grief. They went through stage one, then they moved on to stage two. And as she said, um, the first one for uh, Kubler-Ross was denial, anger, you know, bargaining, uh, sadness, depression. And finally, you work your way to acceptance. But now... This whole idea has evolved and we've actually added different steps and they're not in sequence. That grieving is all over the place. You can go start with maybe stage one that was originally the first stage and jump to the last one and move in and out and go back and forth. So it's um, a variety of emotions that come at different times and at different waves, often with very little or no explanation. Sometimes mm. uh, certain emotions are evoked as a response to certain sounds, a familiar song that your loved one smells, you know, odors, uh, perfumes, certain scents that people have, and you catch that 
whiff in the grocery store or wherever you may be and all of a sudden you're in tears. And the next minute you may hear something that reminds you of a funny story about your loved one and then you're laughing. And so it's just a variety. We look at it more like a kaleidoscope. Wow. If we can back up just a little bit, because I'm wondering, should we, let's define grief because you talked about um, grieving, obviously when you lose a person, but you also talked about grieving because of this pandemic and so on. So can you give us like a general definition of what grief is and the parameters around that? I think simply put, grief is a reaction to a loss. Okay. Many kinds of losses. Uh, we've certainly lost a lot <laughs> through this pandemic. I think the number one thing is our way of life. We've lost mm-hmm. our way of life and we are trying to cope with that. And then it you know, could be the loss of a loved one. That's the one we think of, or usually think of right off the bat, but you can lose um, a job. You can lose a relationship. You can lose your health. You can lose your reputation. I mean, there's just all kinds of losses that we face throughout our lives. I see. Yeah, that's that makes more sense to me. I mean, because I haven't, well, it's not like I haven't experienced loss and death, but um, in my adult life, it's been more loss of relationship, mm-hmm. um, you know, and definitely, I mean, when I had a long-term relationship and uh, devastating, you know, and all those things you're saying, uh, you know, if they were into martial arts or they were into something, I was like, I can't ever see that again. Uh, you know, that's mm-hmm. also been cut out of my life. You know, anything that was associated with us and if you shared things and uh, it was so difficult to come to terms with not associating an outside entity or thing with the relationship. Yeah. The, well, it sounds the, like you were involved in, <laughs> I'm just guessing, but it sounds like you were um, trying to avoid that pain that you that you received when you associated the martial arts or whatever it may be with the person that's not in your life anymore. And mm-hmm. really one of the most important things you can do to process that loss is to go ahead and experience the pain. Leave. But I don't want to. I know. It's definitely <laughs> That's not, not the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Rebecca, well, are, you, you know, are you like a distractor with grief? You like to distract yourself? Oh, you know, um, I did not, definitely did not go away for a year to South America for grief. That was not the reason I went. <laughs> Yeah, I skipped the country, baby. I left the whole. I left the whole city. I went to another country. I went to several different countries, and uh, yeah, I ran and I ran and I ran away. And when I came back, here I was. (laughs) You can't really run away from it. You may suppress it for a while, but it's always going to be there, and it will pop up. You may, it may pop up when you suffer another loss. You're going to experience that one even more strongly. And you might be going, well, wow, why am I reacting to that loss? You know, um, so, well, it's because the other ones there, they tend to build up. And eventually, eventually you have to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that time and distance were two things that did help it didn't solve anything and you def- and you still have to go through these stages but if i weren't such an avoider <laughs> what is what is the 
is there a right way to do this? Is there a more healthy way? You know, what, how, how do you deal with loss? Let me see here now, because I do the exact opposite as Rebecca. Let's see which one of us is closer. (laughs) Okay, but you tell your story first, Danielle. I'll I'll tell mine. I cut and run, baby. (laughs) When I, okay, when I I experience grief either, either from breaking up with a boyfriend, no matter if it's him breaking up with me or me breaking up with him, it's always the same. I'm in bed for at least 24 hours. Just sleep, depression, eating my Twizzlers, watching my television. (laughs) With the ice cream, right? I'm an old school wallower. And then I I like my, my fancy French depression. Just eating chocolate. Feeling sorry for myself. Get those like, cigarettes out. Ennui. Yes. Yeah. Old, like, and sometimes it's like a little self-indulgent. I'm like, even, I'm, you know, it's like, it wasn't even that big a relationship. I'm, I'm kind of playing a part almost. It's like, well, it's got to be a big one. But I, I am definitely a, an insular person. I do things that are, I think, are probably very unhealthy. I block people out. I want to be all alone. I want to cocoon. And then I want to slowly emerge back to my old self again without asking for help or processing my emotions or anything like that. So now Rebecca and I have very different ways of dealing. <laughs> Which one is closer to correct? Fly to Cuba. Fly to Cuba. The way I would look at it is that there is no absolutely correct way to grieve that there are many different ways and it's interesting Danielle because you were mentioning it sounds like you have certain rituals you go through that you Mm -hmm. kind of work your way through it and Rebecca it sounds like you you want to get out you get out but you still come back and you still deal with it in a way Um, so it's not like you're doing anything wrong you're just working through it in your own way and I think when people get into trouble is if they've have some kind of underlying um, issue before the loss. Mm. They might have um, some trauma that they need help with or uh, some underlying depression, something like that. And I think those are the people that get into trouble um, in their grieving process and might need, um, you know, some help from an expert. Mm -hmm. We do have grief support um, groups that we offer at our church, uh, but they're not... um, for people who need psychiatric help. They're just to help people through um, through the process by meeting with other people, um, mm-hmm. having a listening ear, because it's really hard to find people who will listen <laughs> in this day and age, pre-pandemic. Maybe it's different now. But, um, <laughs> and people who can share experiences, because there's some definite, um, other than stages, there are characteristics that kind of happen with grief. You might get kind of, um, fuzzy brained, <laughs> you might uh, suffer some memory problems at certain times. Um, you might cry unexpectedly. That's pretty common. Um, you can feel disorganized mm-hmm. and um, out of place and have all kinds of funny feelings. And sometimes people can think, oh, I'm going crazy. This is driving me crazy. But when they're in a group with other people who are feeling the same things, they go, oh, oh, that's, I guess that's normal. I'm just being. Mm. And that's part of grieving. So there are Mm -hmm. definite advantages to sharing your grief with other people. I I hesitate to even, I had a thought, but I was like, oh, I hesitate to do this because I don't want to get into what grief is worse than others. But honestly, as as a parent, like, 
the loss of my child is something that is somewhat incomprehensible to me. I mean, it certainly has crossed my mind a million times because you're always terrified of your kid being killed or lost in some way. And when I actually try to, when I've taken myself into a fantasy world and I think about that happening, I mean, I can only, I can't hardly even, I can't even sit with the fantasy of it. It's so devastatingly painful. I can't really talk about it right now. I'm even getting verklempt, you know, so I'm not to want to put, you know, that energy out in the world, but I think that, you know, maybe this is leading into a question that I thought we'd get to later, but is there a way to prepare yourself in any capacity for something that could be so devastating since we all experience grief and we all know that it's coming in some fashion? I think there are ways to prepare uh, for grief, um, certainly reading books about it, um, educating yourself is helpful. Um, believe it or not, I think attending um, memorial services when we could do that. And it's very helpful. You hear uh, stories of people being honored and um, you see what it's like up close in a way. I think you can prepare um you can prepare for grief, but you cannot ex- escape its pain. Mm. There's nothing you can do to prevent that pain from happening to you. Part of the loss. One um, interesting thing about life is I think life in itself prepares us for grieving and prepares us for death itself. Because I've, what I see in life is a series of losses, a series of letting go. And we as we live our life, we lose more and more. And mm. it starts at birth. This is an example that I often think of. Um, and being a person of faith, I would say, when we're born, God breathes breath of life into us and gives us life. And we are filled with the breath of God. And how do we respond to that? Well, we breathe out. We let it go. So we are given life and in a way we're letting a little bit of that go, trusting that God's going to give us another breath and another breath. And it's, it's done automatically. We're, mm. obviously, we're not aware of it or anything, but on a very um, deep level, it is a way of learning to let go. And then throughout our lives, we do that. Um, as children, sometimes parents give their kids pets. They, mm-hmm. they can experience a death and it's, it's really hard because pets become part of your family. Mm-hmm. And I've had people actually come to grief support groups because they've lost a beloved pet. So sure. it's not an easy thing, but it is an experience of death. As we grow older, you know, when we're younger, we build up things and we gather things around us and we build up our family and our life. And as we get old, we let more things go. And our, you hear people say, well, I'm downsizing. They are preparing in a way. That's the normal sequence of life. What you're talking about is something. Shocking. Beautiful. Yes. Off tragic. Mm-hmm. Off the charts. I didn't see that coming at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is extremely devastating. I wonder about kind of grieving rituals in different cultures and what how we what what kind of forms grief take within memorials and funerals um especially as we move towards a society that where it seems like people are 
moving away from religion. And so what does it mean to have a funeral or memorial? I've talked with some friends who um, are not Christian and were wonder they, they were kind of at mm-hmm. a loss for who even speaks. Is it just us family members that go up and talk or is there someone to provide leadership? What role do you feel like the church kind of has in our grieving rituals, in our memorials and funerals and, and that? Well, churches provide um, very important rituals. Um, the memorial service itself is a ritual, you know, the gathering of people to honor someone else um, and honor their life and their relationship with that person. Um, rituals are so important because they um, transform the experience and they invite the sacred into the experience, which gives people a sense of comfort and stability. Um, Mm. Eulogies, people come up and they tell stories, they're sharing memories in a way they are keeping that person alive. They're changing the relationship from the presence of a person to a memory of a person. Mm-hmm. Eulogies are a way, are, are a ritual. Um, we have the Christ candle, uh, always lit, which represents the presence of Christ and the hope of, of eternal life. People process their, externalize their inner turmoil and fe- feelings through hymns that are sung, through prayers, poetry that may be read at these memorials or funerals. Work is a bridge. They work as a bridge between the conscious and the unconscious and between um, the land of the living and the land of the dead, so to speak. Mm -hmm. They're that bridge bridge between the concrete and the symbolic. And they they help us to transform that experience. So I think they are very important and helpful. Wow, so many really interesting things. uh, What you said there, I love that you talked about turning, you know, the the actual person into a memory like a transformation happening in that piece and I know I say this all the time but I grew up Roman Catholic and we were taken the kids and lots of kids were taken to the wakes you have a wake and you go and you look at the body and I know that that isn't necessarily everybody's thing and it's strange (laughs) a little bit we were not spared, I mean, as children in doing that. And we went to these things and then you have a very serious somber ceremony. And then there's this huge party. Like the time that, the times I remember the most in my childhood were wakes and weddings. I mean, the W's, it's like, that's where you had big parties and it was not, it was all, you know, booze. And it was like, it was a huge fest in in memory of this person and the whole family, all the families were gathered and it was a reunion and there was great food and all these things. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I mean, I do think that going through those experiences, especially young, well, maybe it prepared me more than having a pet die. You know, it was more like, this is something that happens. This happens. Uncle so-and-so is gone. And this uh, so-and-so is grandpa is this and that. And so the celebration piece of that, I think, is what I kind of hold on to dear and the idea that we're ephemeral and now we're a memory. We're a memory, but we're, we're a memory with all these other people together. Um, I think what gets me when I've been to funerals is that 
that day or the wake or whatever, the ceremony afterwards, the celebration, what have you, that's that one day. And then you're like, but now I have to live out the rest of my time without this person. And how do I live the next day? Mm-hmm. And the next day. That's the pain, you know, that's that painful part. It is painful. Um, and I think that that's one thing I think that is so valuable about uh, the church is the community that can help people through that. They, you know, providing friendship and care and support and even meals with people. But as you say, mm. there does come that point where you're going home alone and you're shutting the door and you're sitting down to prepare the one meal for the one person. And, you know, how, how does that work? People do adjust in time. And that's part of the work of the community too, is not to forget that person and to uh, help them when you can and to um, have a relationship that's meaningful with them. And you get that in a church, you get that kind of a experience. I know widows who they do their own ritual at home alone as a way to cope. Mm-hmm. There was one woman who did say she had a ritual of she would light a candle. She would still go to that same dining room table, sit down. They lit happened to light a candle together for dinner every night, this couple. And she continued to do that in mm. her comfort. And it was a way for her to transition into this new kind of relationship with her husband who was deceased. So, and that transformation, mm-hmm. like you said, out of that relation from presence to memory, but mm-hmm. she, she found that very helpful. Mm-hmm. It's just hard. As you said, I think at the very beginning, it takes time. Mm-hmm. It takes time. It takes, I've heard time talk and tears time talk and tears wow I also don't want to um overlook the what you said about breath because that was really profound too you're saying that every essentially every breath we take is like a covenant with whether you think it's it it is physics but it's this like I will take another one (laughs) you know I'm going to let out this breath and another one will happen you have this sort of covenant with with your surroundings, with your spirit, and knowing that that's going to happen. Um, and then when you don't, that's when you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and that is just so profound. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about, um, Danielle. You know, I know in yoga and in a lot of spiritual practices, I mean, the breath is just so integral. Focusing on meditation and yoga, a big emphasis on breath as that that like the spiritual and the physical coming together within a person and acknowledging that and, and seeing that and, and making that intentional can be a real spiritual practice for people. You know, I'm wondering, Pastor Rita, when people are going through grief, how would they know whether it would be better to go to an individual grief counselor or to look at a grief group? Is, Is there any way to know other than just kind of looking internally I think I'm looking internally is a great way to do it because you may be the type of person that will respond to a one-on-one much more than a group. Um, I have found sometimes people will come make an appointment with me and they'll talk a little bit and I'll say, Hey, why didn't you try this grief support group? And you'll meet other people and um, have companions along the way. And you can talk and listen and share and they do. And they, they love it. But I think 
people need more intense one-on-one um, -on -one when they're really having deeper issues. And that might be somebody who really needs, um, maybe they're really into depression. They might need a psychiatrist or a psychologist, you know, guidance. But I think, mm -hmm. Getting back to that breath part too, I think that you, that's so important is that breathing, stopping and breathing in and taking deep breaths and counting. And in our grief support group, we do a little exercise with breathing. So mm. just, it's just a way to slow down and fill your lungs and refresh your body. So, you know, when we were talking about ritual, I know that other cultures deal with their rituals in different ways you know we're here in western culture and um one of the things that i've always found really interesting was this idea of keening um and when i hear it i mean it strikes right deep into me and i feel like <laughs> that is what i want to do you know that is my natural instinct in a situation is to throw all propriety to the wind and literally like keen really loudly. Like I would like to throw myself down and kind of manifest on the outside what I am actually feeling on the inside. And that, but in the rituals that I've been a part of, that would be absolutely not okay from a societal standpoint. And the stoicism, sort of the Jackie O hanging on to the little John as JFK is carted away. You know, it's like this stoicism is so revered and, you know, you must be strong and carry on and all of that. And can you dissect that a little bit for me? Like, do you know about the different ways and why we are the way we are right now? <laughs> Why are we the way we are? Why are we doing it this way? Because I really want to throw myself down and scream, you know? Yes. And well, and I don't think there's anything really wrong with that as long as it's not, you know, in the middle of the street or something like that. But I think people probably do do that, just not publicly. Right. I know I have thrown myself down <laughs> and screamed and, and yeah, literally have, you know, hit pillows and things like that. Um, but I had an experience like that when I was working as a, as, as a chaplain in a hospital. And this woman, it was her son, and he was expected oh. to die. He was older. He was not real old. I mean, he was in his um, probably mid-20s, something like that. Anyway, mm. I, I didn't wasn't expecting anything, but he did die. Um, and I was with her, and, and she did do that. And over and over, she just kept calling his name in this shrill uh, voice it was heartbreaking it um definitely because <laughs> her heart is breaking quite an experience but well when i was reading is uh actually it was a it's a fiction novel it's outlander you guys probably have heard of it um it's now a tv show but it was the scottish ritual and they would hire people to actually be mourners and then sometimes they would hire people to be these keeners um that they would do it on behalf of the family so that it is that sense of like you can hear people expressing what you're feeling inside although you're not allowed essentially socially to do that but they were they would pay people to do that do you know anything about these old rituals i've i've heard of them i mm -hmm. don't know deeply about them yeah. um i guess you could say a much softer gentler version of that we um in a memorial service will pay sometimes people to sing 
Mm-hmm. The musicians in the church are paid to sure. perform that. And they are helping evoke emotion, evoke response. They are paid to help us, you know, externalize our internal feelings in a meaningful way. So mm-hmm. although it's a much more extreme ex- way of doing it, it's kind of mm-hmm. just kind of a dialed down way of doing it, in my mind. I am, let's make a change, people. <laughs> let's get out of our waspy ways. <laughs> Start some good old keening at Holy Spirit Lutheran Church. Get those emotions out. And you're the one that wants to run away. <laughs> oh, I do. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I remember, so I'm, uh, my mom is Lutheran and she's of Norwegian stock and my dad is from Iran and they're very different uh, kind of funeral, I wouldn't say protocols, but the general way people act is slightly different. Iran is a much more expressive culture in all ways. Mm -hmm. Big hugs, big kisses, big cheers, big tears. Everything's bigger, opposite of loss. My grandmother's memorial and it was my mother's mother had passed. And um, some people from my father's side were coming as well. And she was feeling self-conscious because she said, I don't know how I'm going to react. She was very close to her mother and she was very depressed, but she didn't know. She was worried that she would be seen as cold because she might not cry enough or be (sighs) effusive enough. And then family members would think she didn't love her mother enough. Enough. And Mm -hmm. it was, it was strange. It was almost, she, she didn't want to, she wanted to be strong. So she didn't want to cry. And then she was worried if she didn't cry, she wouldn't be honoring her mother's memory enough Uh, the anxiety about how do I grieve I mean come on displays cause so much worry and what we're going to disturb other people around us or they're going to think certain things and we put so much pressure on ourselves when we're grieving to to do it in the right way or the wrong way I I don't I, I just to normalize people expressing their grief in the way that works for them in the way that honors the relationship they've been in. I think you probably react differently if it's something you've been anticipating for a long time. If there's a a, a health decline over a long period of time versus a sudden surprise versus, Mm. I I think there's just so many different variables. And it's, it's strange that memorials often look so similar when the experiences people are having are so that's what I'm talking about. Very, very mm-hmm. true. Yeah. And even men and women, you know, mm-hmm. uh, men are kind of known for not being big criers. Now, certainly there are men who do cry, you know, right. I enlarge the research uh, shows that men, when they're grieving, cry out loud, much less than women. And there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean they didn't love their wife or you know, right. whoever they lost, but that's an interesting point, Danielle. That's right. The, um, the rituals are all the same and they're repeated and they're different. They're the same. They're different than the people have these individual different reactions, but the church's reaction is always the same. And there, there is some comfort in that too. The ritual itself, you know, you're going to go, you know, you're going to be in this environment with other people. If you're familiar with the church, if you're the church member, you're going to hear songs, you know, you're probably going to feel like crying, you know, and then you want to do the fake cry with a little dab of you know tissue or, or are you going to go ahead and cry full bore but you basically know that you know some do communion some don't so 
you just have this comforting aspect that um, that faith provides for you. Can we talk a little bit about um, bringing this back to the Bible? And you know, we're talking about sort of we're in a Christian world here, and so we talk a lot of things we're talking about. I understand how these. Christian rituals and being part of community can help. What does the Bible say about grief? What are there, are there passages? I mean, I know there's certain passages that kind of go along with funerals. What are those? What, what is the, what can we pull from the Bible about grief? The one that comes to my mind immediately is the, I think it's the shortest sentence in the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus yeah. Friend family friends um Lazarus and Martha and Mary and Lazarus got fell ill and Jesus was out of town and didn't get back in time so Laz Lazarus died when Jesus came back and saw everybody mourning said Jesus wept so we do know that God oddly enough has that kind of deep compassion and can feel our pain so that to me is very comforting to know that God understands mm. And I think there are many, many Bible verses that bring comfort to people who are grieving. Um, Psalms jump into my mind. Also, you know, God is close to the brokenhearted and things like that. And um, just many of them, if you want to. So I think people find a lot of uh, solace and consolation in Bible verses talking, uh, talking about the comfort of, of God. Blessed are the those who mourn, you know they will be comforted. Mm -hmm. Pastor Mike also always talks about um, Easter time, about how God goes into, right into death with you. Like a lot of the story of Easter and yes, it's about the resurrection of Christ. But, you know, when you talk about a, a person like ourselves, that he's always saying, look, this is the idea that even with death, even in death, God doesn't leave you. Um, you're not, it, it's that sense of never, you don't be alone. You know, the solid, the solitariness of grief, I think is um, whether you've been left, somebody's left you or it's a relationship or what have you that, you know, that's me. I mean, look at Danielle. She wants to be alone. <laughs> I do. I do <laughs> she wants to, be, she wants well, to be alone. But the, but the whole idea is even if you are alone, meaning other people, God mm. is always with you. God mm -hmm. is there with you, walks with you through these things and never leaves you. Uh, I talk to people in the process of dying and they don't feel that presence of God sometimes. Mm -hmm. and, and that's when they want this prayer support or the Christian community support because that kind of holds them up during that period and makes them feel loved and, and um, cared for. But it's, it's a difficult time, but that remembering that God is with us. And I've had people say, oh, yeah, it just doesn't feel like God is here. But I, I, know, yeah. I know God loves me. I know God is with me. And it's amazing to see people get bolstered up through things like that. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah, there's all kinds of uh, questions that I, I can see various other topics to talk with you about, <laughs> Pastor Rita. Sure. Um, let's wrap it up for today. I'd like to hear from the listeners what you thought, any thoughts on this topic or 
grief that you've gone through? Do you cut and run like I do? Do you hole up and eat ice cream like Danielle? Um, whatever you want to tell us, Challenging Christianity Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Pastor Rita. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>